0: Verse 15, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am. You see the setup? Because here's the thing that we got to wrestle with. Every last one of us has got to deal with. And that is, who is he to you? Who is he to you? Because all of you have some kind of idea of who he is, you may say one thing with your mouth but your behavior is going to say what you really think because if you say he's my Lord then who's in charge? If you say he's my Lord and he's in charge and you're conducting yourself in a manner that is contrary to his charge. You see, if you say he's Lord, then you know that he's not going to allow or permit certain behavior for his subjects. Think about it from this perspective. If you were a slave and you had a master, then you would go where your master told you. You would do what your master say. Unless you decided you no longer wanted to have a master and you decide you're gonna run away, eyes wants to be free why you wants to be free because i don't want no master telling me what to do you see there are many who call themselves saints who are simply runaway slaves shalom saints and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to matthew I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Terminology evokes images in the minds of people that affect people consciously and subconsciously in how they see themselves and in their approach to the entity they call God. Just as knowledge is power, words have power. The translation of words from one language to another can ascribe different meanings to the words translated into the new language. In this passage of Matthew, Peter receives revelation from Jehovah of who Yeshua is and the disciples are informed of the master plan of Messiah. From the first century until now, the 21st century, this passage in Matthew 16 and others like it have conjured incorrect images of the actual words translated the Christ, the Church, and the Cross as revealed in the English translations of this passage. This has led to incorrect worship and lifestyles that differ from what the Messiah lived and taught. The message title in this podcast is The Christ, the Church, and the Cross. So, let's study. We talked about how terminology evokes images in the minds of people. And those images affect people consciously and subconsciously in how they see themselves and in their approach to the entity they call God. Just as knowledge is power, words have power. And as I stated earlier, words create images in our mind. Words formulate our thought pattern and then even the words from those thought patterns that we communicate the translation of words from one language to another can ascribe different meanings to the words translated into the new language. And as we've talked about translations, we've also talked about how some words don't translate. And this is why you will find anyone who study whatever form of Hebrew that you study or even Greek, you'll find that when it comes down to a word in the Hebrew, a word in the Greek, that when it's brought over into the English or into another language, sometimes additional words have to be added in order to convey the thought of the word from the language that it was brought over to. And as a result of that, those words that are added can also add to your way of thinking, as we're going to see in this passage. In this passage, we're going to look at how Peter receives revelation from Jehovah of who Yeshua is, and then the disciples are informed of the master plan. Now, for those of you who may know this already, before Father created the heavens and the earth, and before he established Eden in the earth and put man in the garden, that the enemy had already been cast down from the heavens. The Bible lets us know that there was a rebellion in heaven. Satan, the devil, the old serpent, the dragon, however you refer to him, was cast down in those who followed him, those who rebelled with him. And so from the very beginning, before Mr. and Mrs. Adam was placed in the garden, the devil was already in the earth. So in the garden now, he's communicating with the man and the woman in the form of a serpent. Father, before all of that, knew the end from the beginning, established a plan that would unveil itself over the course of time. And it is still unveiling itself today. Many of us have an idea of the end times, but what we have is fragments of information, which is where now people with supposedly prophetic insight and end time prophecy conjure up and create all these ideas of what the end time is like and can get you involved in meaningless unending conversations about end time events what is hell is going to look like is there a hell where is hell Is there a lake of fire? Will the people be tormented day and night or will they die instantly? How long will they be tormented? I mean, all of these questions that nobody have answers to, but many of us have spent time in conversations that by the end of the conversation, we are no more knowledgeable than we were before the conversation. My conclusion is this. I'm not interested in that because I have no intention of ever finding out if it's true. I'm not interested in where the lake of fire is because I have no intent of visiting it. So I'm going to focus on what I am interested in and that's eternal life. You see, because if I spend my energy learning about eternal life, learning about the responsibility and the role that the almighty has called me to, then guess what? My job is to help other people to prevent them from ever wanting to know about that information. Also, because no matter how much conversation we have with them, they still won't know. So I've concluded that hell Is in the kingdom. Why? Because father created it. If he created hell. Then. Is it outside his kingdom? Because there's nothing outside his kingdom. So hell is somewhere in the kingdom. Right now exactly where it is. I don't know. But it's somewhere in the kingdom. And. And. The other thing I know that the least will be there in that part of the kingdom. The great will not be on that side of town, (laughs) right? There'll be those who will be called great. They will receive the inheritance that was prepared for them before the foundation of the world. And then there will be those who are called least in the kingdom and they will be identified how by not obeying the commandments and teaching others, they don't have to. So they'll be on one side of kingdom town. (laughs) I would dare say that's the ghetto. That's the slums. And I have no intent of being over there, I want to be where they talk about those streets, you know, those streets that are kind of, you know, just the imagery of those streets that look like, you know, gold and glass. And it appears to me that some folks have spent some architectural design and energy and resources Because I get the impression from the conversations that I have had that there are mansions somewhere in the mix. Mansions with many rooms. A place where the Messiah is going to prepare for those who he's one day going to come back and get. And just as he prepared, the Almighty prepared a place for Mr. and Mrs. Adam. He is preparing a place for us. That's where I'm interested. And that's where I'll put my energy and time pursuing from the first century until now, the 21st century, this passage in Matthew 16 and others like it have conjured incorrect images of the actual words translated the Christ, the church and the cross as revealed in the English translations of this passage. This has led to incorrect worship, and lifestyles that differ from what the Messiah lived and taught brothers and sisters. We don't see what the world today called church in the old Testament, but what the word means we find throughout the old Testament. Every time Israel came together, they were assembled They were the called out. What were they called out? Well, first they were called out of Egypt and then was told to remain outside of the communities of the people of the world. So they were called out not to be a part of the world, but to be distinctly separate, operating in a set of principles, laws, laws. Constitution that govern them as the people of the Most High. A peculiar people. A people who took on the identity of the King of Kings, which by virtue make them a royal people. By the identity of a Holy One, make them who is like the Holy One, a holy people. A people who are responsible for seeking the righteousness of the Holy one. Now making them a righteous people. So the kingdom people are Royal, peculiar, holy, righteous, and governed by a set of instructions called commandments law that was given from the law giver. You cannot be the, the work of the lawgiver by rejecting the lawgiver's law. Those who reject the law-giver's law become lawless. The lawless ones will be subject to the man of lawlessness, where those who keep the law are under the umbrella of the one who gave it. There's a lifestyle. The Tanakh, the Old Testament, talks to us about what worship is, and then there's the worship of the church. Look at some of this stuff. In Matthew 16:13, when Jesus, Yeshua, came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, "Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am?" Now, on the surface, You wouldn't have to think much about that question, but how would the disciples know what the people thought if they've spent all their time with him? Remember, we looked in earlier where he sent them out. He sent them out into various cities, into various territories to go and to minister and gave them instruction. And then he sent out 72 to do likewise. So as they went and ministered and we don't see all the places or the names of the places they went, but we know they went somewhere and they preached and they taught and they raised the dead. They healed the sick. They preached the kingdom. They preached the gospel, the acceptable gospel. And in those encounters, in those different cities, they encountered people who had ideas, ideologies, teachings, beliefs, and all of that. We don't see that, but we know that it's got to be the case because they were out there in those communities, out there in those cities until they returned to give a report of all the things they encountered while they were out there. So Messiah asked them, who do those people say I am? And as we've gone through Matthew, we've looked at the fact that earlier when Yeshua's ministry during the time that they were out, Herod heard about the ministry of Yeshua and he thought it was John the Baptist who had been raised from the dead. He said, I killed John. And then there were these others who said, well, it could be this prophet. It could be Elijah. It could be this, you know, and they had these ideas of who this Messiah was, but the essence of the question shows us. Well, let me continue. The word Jesus there is a masculine given name derived from the name in classical Greek or Latin or Greek to Latin. And then, the Greek form of the Hebrew, an Aramaic name, Yeshua or Yeshua. And so I put this out there because if you look at the Greek form, you'll find it's somewhat hard to pronounce, but people call it a When you take it into the Latin form, it's Jesus. And you'll find that many. Latinos, Latin Americans, who are called Jesus, in the English, it would be spelled Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't come from a Hebrew. It doesn't even come from a Greek. It comes from a Latin word. And they said, when he asked the question, and they said, And they said, now, if you look at this, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say you are Elias and others, Jeremiah's or one of the prophets. So different people had different ideas or understandings of who Yeshua was. We see John the Baptist. There's one, some Elias, there's two and others that could be a variety of different prophets depending on what they had been taught and then Jeremiah which you know is a different prophet and then and of the prophets what prophets there's a myriad of understandings from the people as to who Yeshua is even today brothers and sisters you have people today that make the argument well is Jesus the son is Jesus the holy spirit Is Jesus the Father? Is Jesus God? Is he this? Is he that? You've got different interpretations from different denominations. Is he an angel? Is he, you know, Michael? Uh, I mean, you've got a lot of different understandings from different theological perspectives. The people, the preachers, the teachers, Herod, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, We're saying these things. When John first came on the scene, if you remember, they came out and asked him, who are you? Are you that prophet? Are you the Messiah? John says, listen, I'm not that. And so people, but where are they getting the state of mind to even ask the question? Because the question is coming from somewhere. And the question is coming from prophecy that is found all the way back in the Torah. Verse 15, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am. You see the setup? Because here's the thing that we got to wrestle with. Every last one of us has got to deal with. And that is, who is he to you? Because all of you have some kind of idea of who he is. You may say one thing with your mouth but your behavior is going to say what you really think. Because if you say he's my Lord, then who's in charge? If you say he's my Lord and he's in charge, and you're conducting yourself in a manner that is contrary to his charge. You see, if you say he's Lord, then you know that he's not going to allow or permit certain behavior for his subjects. Think about it from this perspective. If you were a slave and you had a master, then you would go where your master told you. You would do what your master say. Unless you decided you no longer wanted to have a master and you decide you're going to run away. Eyes wants to be free. Why you want to be free? Because I don't want no master telling me what to do. You see, there are many who call themselves saints who are simply runaway slaves. Just let you think about that for a moment. You're a runaway. Why? Because you're living your life on your own terms, doing your own thing, what you want to do, and then justifying it however you choose to justify it. Cause nobody's going to tell you what to do. You got runaway wives who don't want to listen to their husband. You got runaway husbands who don't want to listen to their wives. You got runaway sons and daughters who don't want to listen to their parents. The scriptures gives us instructions on how a household is supposed to function. See a husband can't force a wife A wife has to submit. If she don't want to submit, she can choose not to submit. She can be a rebellious wife while calling Jesus Lord. Well, your Lord Jesus says, wives, submit to your husband as unto him. Runaway wives, husbands who are not being the head. Husbands who are not submitted to their master. Husbands who are not providing for their home. Husbands who are rebellious. Absent. Fathers who won't provide proper discipline and direction and guidance. Runaways. The word Christ does not come from the Hebrew brothers and sisters. The word Christ comes from the Latin. Christ, Christos, supposedly means anointed. Christ was the Messiah, according to Strong's, the Son of God, anointed. Now, if Christ comes from the Hebrew Messiah, then there should be some mention of Christ in the Hebrew. But guess what? There's no such thing. No such thing. See, we've been bamboozled and don't even know we've been bamboozled. I'm going to show you. The word Christ for most brings to mind the image of a European Savior hanging on a cross, the creator of Christianity, who was born on Christmas, December 25th. These are all images and ideologies given to mankind by the Roman Catholic Church, a religious ecclesiastical institution that claim it gets its authority from Peter or from Christ based on a, a verse that we're going to look at here in a moment. These are some of the images. See when you think of Christ as a Christian, most Christians, when they think of Christ, get these images. That's what they see. You know how you know? Because when you go into their churches, you go into their homes, you look at what's hanging around their necks. Now I got to give a disclosure. This is a ring that I bought several years ago. It's got a cross in it. I turn it upside down, but I didn't throw it away because of his gold value. I would have gotten rid of it like I got rid of some other things, but I had another ring. And while I was working in the yard, it slipped off my finger and I lost it to this day. I've searched it. I've gotten metal detect. I've looked for that and I haven't found it because I want to convey the message that, I'm a kept man (laughs) that I'm accounted for, that I'm connected and wedded. I went back into my jewelry box and I pulled this ring out. Now, I turn it over so most people, you know, you got some gazers, folks who just look you up and down and assess everything you got because they're looking, I don't know what they're looking for. Like I was, it was interesting. Uh, I got this ring and, and we had a guest last week and wanted to know what that ring was about. That's the first person in this assembly that's ever asked, but other people look at it and come to their own conclusion. If they come to a conclusion at all, there are those of us who have questions in our minds that we don't dare ask. I have no problem. And so I just give that disclaimer um, because I'm standing here and I felt that I needed to give that disclaimer because I'm talking about the cross. The cross means nothing in the sense to me from that religious standpoint, because I don't memorialize an execution stake. I just don't do that. But these are the kinds of images Christ is Mashiach, if you would really look at it, because the word that the Latin, the definition that the Latin gives to the word Christ is anointed, anointed. The word anointed is Mashiach. It's anointed, anointed one of the Messiah, the Messianic Prince of the king of Israel, of the high priest of Israel, of Cyrus. And so the high priest was anointed. The people were anointed. But in many cases, when you see the word anointed, it has different words. And in certain places is specific. Not all words anointed is Mashiach. The language of the Bible is Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. That's the language of the Bible. We have English translations. So our Bible is the English translations, whatever version you have. So when I look at this Bible, I look at the process of the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin into the English. Are you with me? If I'm in the Old Testament, I'm looking for the Hebrew translated into the English. If I'm in the New Testament, I'm looking for the Greek and the Latin translated in English. Unbeknownst to some of you, Chaldean and Hebrew have similar letters that look like Hebrew. Those of you who have an old Strong's Concordance, if you got one of them old burgundy, one of the first ones that came out, you'll find the inscription that it is the Strong's Chaldean Hebrew Greek. Now it says Chaldean and Hebrew and then Greek. Why? Because the Chaldean in the Hebrew is the Old Testament. The thing is, is that when you read the Hebrew, you may not recognize that it's actually Chaldean. Abraham was of Ur of where? The Chaldean. What language you think he would speak? Hebrew? Chaldean? It was a very similar character's civilization. But distinction, just like in some countries, you have people who have dialect, some dialect. You know, when you think about case in point, South America, we talk about Hispanics, talk about Latinos, Latinx. Most South Americans can understand each other but there are very clear distinctions between many of the South American language and dialect. All right. Not that I want to give you a a Spanish lesson, but I want to show the reason why I point this out is because Mashiach in our English Bibles is translated Messiah. According to our English translation of the Hebrew. Case in point, Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandments to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. So what do we see there? If you look at that word Messiah, that's the English translation of the Hebrew Mashiach. Messiah is not a Hebrew word. Messiah is an English word. It's the English translation of the Hebrew Mashiach. So the point is, is that if we have an English translation of the Hebrew Mashiach, wouldn't that Messiah Hebrew translation into the English come over into the New Testament? We already got the translation in the English. So how did it get to be Christ? Christ is an English translation of a Latin word. There was no Latin Mashiach. Daniel 9, 26, you need two witnesses. They both come from Daniel, but, and after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off? Shall Messiah be cut off? Now, when we go over into the Greek translation of Mashiach in our English Bible, We find the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah, Mashiach, as Messias. John one forty one. He findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messias, which is being interpreted the Christ, which is being interpreted. Who put that there? Do you think that Peter, when he found Simon, said, Hey Simon, I have found. The Mashiach, which being interpreted is Messiah. This is not Philip talking. This is a translator. Somebody has inserted something. Why are they inserting a Latin, Greek, English from the Hebrew Messiah when Mashiach? has already been translated into the English as Messiah, which means that when you take it from the Hebrew over into the New Testament, every place you see Christ should be what? Messiah. Why is Christ there? The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. You think she said that? She didn't know Latin. We have found the Messiah's cometh. I know that the Messiah's cometh, which is called. Man, you got to know when there's a conspiracy because there's some conspiratorial things and it's obvious. It's clear. But do you know That once a person sinks their teeth into a conspiracy, no matter what truth you try to show them, it's like falling on deaf ear. Christ is the Latin form of Christos. Mashiach was given to us by Jehovah. Christ was given to us by the Roman Catholic Church. Verse 17, And Jesus, Yeshua, answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood, has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. What did he reveal? That you are the Messiah. You are Mashiach. You are the Son of the living Elohim. Peter's revelation was a fulfillment. And I'm going to prove it. Peter's revelation was a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, which... Reads, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee and will put my words in his mouth. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name. I will require it of him. Now, so when Peter gets this revelation, the revelation Peter gets is based on Peter's understanding of one, Mashiach, the prophecy concerning Mashiach, as it's revealed by Moses and the prophets. How do you know this? How do I know this? And how can I be so sure about it? Peter's own words. But do you know, there are people who hear Peter's words and they reject what Peter have to say because they form their own conclusion. Case in point, the sheet, when father lowered those sheet down and told Peter, rise and eat. And Peter says, no, I've not put anything. I've not eaten anything common or unclean. And then Peter interprets his vision and say, what father has shown me is not to call any man common or unclean. And for that, he was able to go into a Gentile's home called Cornelius. But the Christian is still going to say, no, Peter was instructed to eat. Okay, well, if Peter was instructed to eat and Peter didn't eat and Peter refused to eat, then Peter was in rebellion and disobedience. And then father's going to turn around and send him to Cornelius house with this rebellious and disobedient self. This is why we can't tiptoe around the Christian. Because they'll mingle your words and they'll come away with, well, you know, we all believe in the same God. No, we don't. You believe in your Western Christian European Catholic creation. The God of the Bible is not Catholic. The God of the Bible is not Christian. Now, if I haven't lost folks already, you know, we've lost a few. But I'm at a place in my life. I'm not interested. I don't. I care. But if people don't want the truth. This is not the place for them. If I was interested in trying to build a church. Then. I wouldn't be saying things that I know is going to offend some folks. But how many of you know the truth is an offense to Greek minds? A stumbling block, not to the Hebrew, a stumbling block to the Jew. Peter preached this passage. That's how I know. Because in chapter three, verse 20, Peter said, and he shall send Yeshua Messiah, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive unto the times of restitution of all things which Elohim hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your Elohim raise up unto you of your brethren, Deuteronomy, Like unto me, him shall you hear in how many things, in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people, yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many. As have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Now, you have to understand that when he talks about Samuel, Samuel is the first prophet identified outside the Torah. You got the prophet Abraham identified in the Torah. You got Moses, who was also considered the prophet of God in the Torah. And then you got the designate Aaron. Who father told Moses, I've made you like a God unto Pharaoh, and Aaron shall be your prophet. And so, what is he saying? You've got Moses, and then he says, All the prophets from Samuel unto now have referred to this verse. Now, this is why it gets interesting, and this is after the fact, but it gets interesting that with Peter's knowledge, that if you're supposed to listen to him, How are you going to turn around and rebuke him when he says what he has to do? When he say what his mission is, as we'll see here in a moment. Stephen preached this passage before he was stoned to death. Acts chapter 7. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall Jehovah your Elohim raise up unto me, unto you, of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear. We won't get into Paul, but I want to make a distinction here. Peter had a revelation from Jehovah, Paul had an encounter with Yeshua. This is important for us to understand. Why? Because Peter had an encounter, I mean, Paul had an encounter where the Almighty began to communicate to Paul. Peter had a revelation. Yeshua introduced himself to Paul. He got his attention first. You know, he knocked him blind, knocked him down, let him hang out blind for a little while, and then had his sight restored, but communicated specifically to him who he was. Peter receives this revelation, right? And the point people who know the Messiah as Jesus Christ have not had a revelation or an encounter. They only have teachings. People who insist on calling him Jesus Christ are stuck. What are they stuck on? Teachings from their church. That's where they are. They're stuck. See. You can have conversations with your Christian friends by ignoring Yeshua or using the term Messiah by simply talking Jesus. That'll keep you in good graces with your Christian friends. But the moment you start separating yourselves and behaving and talking like a called out one and using the language of a called out one, all of a sudden you find yourself set apart and what do you have? You're going to find there's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some contention because if there's no conflict and there's no contention, they see you like they see themselves. There's no difference between you and them. When in fact, there's a world of difference. He says, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. Now, if the gates of hell is not going to prevail against the church, how come a lot of churches are falling? How come a lot of these preachers who are leading these churches are falling? And even some of these messianic leaders, nobody's left out. You know, you call yourself a messianic leader and you're having sex with somebody outside your wife, you are an adulterer. And adulterers will not inherit the kingdom. And so you got people who are preaching about the kingdom who will not inherit the kingdom because of their lifestyle. They're runaway slaves. They're portraying to be something they're not. They're putting on airs, they're facade, they're hypocrite, they're fakes, they're false. Well, now, brother, be careful now, lest you fall too. Then what? Well, if I fall, I would be just like them. But I also know that if I add this to my faith, if I do what the scripture says, I shall never fall. I will definitely not fall in adultery. You don't fall into adultery. You walk into it. You got all kinds of outs before you get in it. I mean, if unless you walk around naked. <laughs> No, I mean, if you walk around naked, which is illegal, and you got other people walking around naked, like if you're on some new beach or something, I mean you just might fall into it, <laughs> but you gotta take your clothes off, you gotta meet up, hook up, you gotta make arrangements, make plans, you gotta sneak. Like you ain't got no Holy Ghost. Because I know the Holy Ghost is screaming, hey, hey, what you doing? Where you going? You going the wrong way. Folks don't fall into sin. They walk into it with their eyes wide open. Talking about I can't help myself. Well, that's why you're supposed to have the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you into that. And those who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of Elohim. So if you're in some place that you shouldn't be, the Holy Spirit didn't lead you there, which is a clear sign you may not have the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you say. You can speak in tongues all day long while you've fallen. Because what Messiah built, the gates of hell would not prevail. In fact, what Messiah builds, it will prevail over. Why? Because he's put the devil and his angels where? Under the feet of those who have been called out. The church, ecclesia, a gathering of citizens that are called out. An assembly. You see, this is not a church I don't even call this a synagogue. This is simply a place where we assemble. That's what it is. Now, I can drive you around the city and show you churches. And you know what? I can show you churches that have nobody in them. Then how can it be a church? If there's nobody in it, how can it be a church? It's a building. But that's not what people call church. I mean, well, let me let me say that's not what the Bible called church. That's what people call church. What church you go to? Well, I don't go to church. What? You don't go to church and you call yourself a believer. The Bible says you should go to church. It's like where the Bible say that at? What does the Bible say I should go to? Well, it says forsake not the. Some, therefore, look at Acts 19. Now, you don't see this word church here. Some, therefore, cried one thing and some another for the assembly, the church. And this wasn't the Christian church. It was simply an assembly of heathens. But the word church there, the Greek word ecclesia, is there. That's if you look it up. Acts 1939: "But if you require anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly, a lawful church. This is still heathens." Acts 19:41. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Ecclesia. Same word. Back to Matthew: "And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter was given authority based on the revelation he received from Jehovah. Now notice, he says, who do men say that I am? The disciples said these things, but then he said, who do you say I am? And only Peter spoke up. So who received the revelation? Peter received the revelation. Peter received the revelation of who Yeshua was. Again, after receiving this revelation, he's going to turn around and rebuke. Now, what you see is a mindset. The same mindset in operation before is now kicked back in after the revelation. See, you can receive a revelation. Many of you, many of us have received a revelation, have received an instruction from the almighty and still conduct ourselves as if we've received no revelation whatsoever. We've heard from him. He has spoken things to us. He has said things to us. We heard it very clearly. And then went on and did whatever we were planning on doing in the first place. Some of us have been convicted, but continue. Why? We say with our mouth, he's Lord, but in essence, we're runaway slaves. If we don't do what he says, hearers, not doers. If you want to see the blessing, the prosperity, the protection, the power, if you want to experience the presence, think about this. You don't like being around people who don't listen to you. You got family members, friends. If you got a son or a daughter who don't listen to you, who don't follow your instructions, what do you want to do to them? You want to discipline them. If they reject the discipline, what do you do? You disassociate. It's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to be when a father has to cut off a son because the son is so self-centered and rebellious. They're bent on doing what they want to do, even though they know their actions is displeasing to their father. Daughters who are hell bent on rebelling, and won't receive correction or instruction, in fact, call correction abuse. That's abusive. You're trying to control me. I'm trying to instruct you. I'm trying to correct you. I'm trying to be a good parent because I love you. If I love you, I have to correct you. If I don't correct you, I don't love you. So what should I do? Should I allow you to do destructive behavior and not say nothing? Am I to allow you to disregard the instructions that I give you in this house and still feed you? And still clothe you? And still protect you and provide for you? I hate to admit this, but I'll admit it because I have no problem throwing me out there. I had a son. I wanted my other son to beat him. I wanted to beat him up. Well, why? Why would you want your older son to beat up the younger son? Because he won't listen to me? And I ain't talking to him. Because I know if my child talked to me like some parents, allow them, their children to talk to them, I'll probably end up in jail. Because it ain't going to happen. At least I'm not going to. Permitted. You will not talk to me like that. Not up in here. You better get out of here. and You better get out of here with the quickness. lest I have to throw you out. I don't want to throw you out, but you will not be permitted to talk to me like that. Boy, I'm going to tell you, my folks put the fear of God in me at a young age. Boy, I took you, I'll take you out. My daddy pulled the gun on me one time. That's the last time he had to do that. And you know what? Why he pulled the gun on me? Because I had ran away from home. And he found me. And I saw him and I'm hiding. Because I don't want to go back. And he, he must have saw me before I ducked behind that tree. Because he pulled right up to that tree. Got out. Took his gun. And pointed it at the tree. He said, boy, if you don't get your behind in this car, Now, it's like, if I ran away, that means I don't want to be there. And what's to say, you take me back, I won't run away again. You know what's to say, I'm not going to run away again because he pulled that gun out. It's like, man, I can't even run away from home. So I'll join the Navy, do a Jonah. That was my way out. You got people doing Jonas. (laughs) Anyway, Peter was given authority based on the revelation he received. When Jehovah reveals insight to us with the insight comes authority to operate in the insight given that others who have not been given insight may not have authority to walk in. See, when father gave me the revelation of having a building that is paid for without notes. That revelation gave authority to me to begin to put in places and to do things with the outcome in mind. And when I first communicated it, it was casting vision. And when I first started casting vision, how many folks you think believed me? And yet yeah, here we are. Revelation when he gives you revelation, when he gives you insight, if you don't do nothing with it, guess what? It won't come to pass. It won't manifest. It won't benefit. There are things when he gives you revelation, he'll give you instruction. And now, what you have to do, follow the instruction. See, the whole purpose of Father giving you instruction is because he's trying to get you somewhere. If you ignore the instructions, you won't reach the destination that he's called you to. And he don't oftentimes give you the destination. He give you instruction. Obey that instruction. Guess what? More instruction. Obey that instruction. Guess what? More instruction. Notice the process with his disciples. When he called the disciples, he didn't tell them he was going to send them out. He never told them he was going to send them out to the world. He started giving them instructions and then he tested them by sending them out while he was still with them. Why gave them instructions on what to say, what to do. He was preparing them before he began to tell them like he's going to tell them here in a moment that he's leaving. He's out of here in a short period of time. He made sure that they had instruction, that they had been equipped, that they had been discipled. And by the time he begins to reveal to them what's going to happen, he's equipped them. So like Paul, if if you look at the seven sons of Siva in Acts 19, when certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Yeshua saying, we adjure you by Yeshua, Jesus, whom Paul preached. See, Paul had an encounter. These fellows never had an encounter with him. How are you going to preach in his name and you never had an encounter? All you got is information. Their information without revelation or an encounter made them vulnerable to the devil. You got people out there who got a lot of information, but they have no revelation. They don't have an encounter. They don't have revelation. But they're operating like Christians. And then many Messianics are former Christians who bring over a Christian mindset, just change a few words around. That's what they do. Change a few words around and start talking like they know Hebrew. And all of a sudden they got a Hebraic mindset. It's like, really? To bind and loose. When Messiah said bind and loose, what does that actually mean? We can look at the words. We can look at the Greek words that is used in that passage, But then there are some examples in Matthew 18, 18. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is after he talks about dealing with offense. If your brother offends you, go to him. If he hear you, then you've won your brother. If he don't, then you take two or three witnesses. If he hear you, then everything's good. If not, you bring the matter before the congregation. If he refused to hear the congregation, what do you do? You treat him like what? An unbeliever. What have you done? What you've done is you've had a trial. You've made a judgment. And you've given the judgment. It's done. Heaven recognize what has been done. Why? Because it's been done based on the instructions that have been given. Just because you got a revelation doesn't mean you got the revelation so that you can go and do things your way. You can have a revelation, but now it's a matter of following the instruction that comes with the revelation in order to reach or acquire the desired outcome or the destination. John 20, 23, whosoever sins, you remit. Do you know you can hold on to people's sins or you can forget them? You can remit them. You can forgive them. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. You can release them or you can hold on to them. You can bind or release or loose. In other words, if a person is on trial and they have presented their case and they are acquitted or they win, then you release them. You loose them. Verse 20, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus Yeshua, the Messiah. From that time forth began Yeshua to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders in chief. Notice here, after Peter gets the revelation from that time forth. From that time forth, he begins to talk to them about what's going to happen. He's going to go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took the Savior, the Messiah he's supposed to be listening to, and began to rebuke him. How dare you? Saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. It's like, how are you going to stop? what has already been planned by the most high himself. And now you're going to try to stand in the way of the mission. Sometimes people think that by leaving you or by holding on to their tithe and their offerings or by rebelling against the almighty, if the almighty told you to give something and you refuse to give it, that ain't my problem. And then some people have the audacity. I had somebody tell me, you know, God told me to give you certain things, but I didn't do it. It's like, okay, did you repent? Why do you feel you need to tell me? Now, if, if you told me God told you to do it and you didn't do it, and it's not like I've repented, here it is, then praise the Most High. <laughs> but as far as I'm concerned, you've just confessed your rebellion and you're still operating in that same rebellion you confessed. What's the point in him revealing something to you if you're going to continue in what it was that you were doing before he revealed it to you? And that's where a great deal of people are. And then they want him to show them their purpose. Like, really, you hard-headed, rebellious, runaway slave? What good is me showing you your purpose for so you could try to fulfill your purpose without me? Why don't you repent? Why don't you submit yourself? Why don't you deny yourself? Why don't you die to yourself? Why don't you follow my instructions daily? Because that's where he's going next. Peter rebuked the one he should have been listening to. In Matthew sixteen twenty-three. But he turned and said unto Peter, now notice, and this is the thing, brothers and sisters. He said to Peter, who is he talking to? Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. You have to recognize within yourself when you're operating by the spirit of the most high or you're operating by another spirit. Because, see, when you start operating by another spirit, you'll justify your behavior. Even when people tell you that's not the spirit of God. And now you're trying to justify behavior, you rebellious, runaway slave. Now, if the shoe fits where it, don't get mad. This is where you have to correct yourself. You really do. You have to correct yourself. Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an no offense unto me. Now, notice, he says, You are an no offense to me. Who? Peter or the devil in Peter? It was a devil in Peter. Because at this point, Peter had not been filled with the Holy Spirit, nor had Messiah breathed on him, but he had given him authority to cast out devils. He had given him authority to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. And now you've allowed a devil to enter. This is why, brothers and sisters, you got to monitor your thinking. you got to monitor your actions. you got to monitor your behavior. If you don't monitor your behavior, monitor your thinking, monitor your actions, and then what is the standard by which you're using to monitor? Because if you don't have a standard, see, the Torah is our standard. The Torah is the believer's standard the rules, the laws that the almighty has established by which we are to conduct ourselves. That's the standard by which we monitor ourselves. If I know I'm supposed to be honoring the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath and keeping it holy, then I have a standard for the Sabbath. If I'm not keeping the Sabbath holy, I'm not even recognizing my own standard. Oh, but that's his standard. That's not mine. You see, when you do not operate according to the standard, you're like the person who looked into the law, walked away and forgot it. It's a mirror. It's a reflection of what we're supposed to look like and we're not supposed to forget it. But what causes us to forget sometimes is when we get around other people and we try to blend in. by using their terminology and their language. We don't correct, we don't instruct, we try to get alone, we don't want to be offence. But the more you start walking according to the standard, you don't have to offend people. Guess what? They'll be like roaches when the lights come on. They'll see you coming. That's what they do. They're like, hey, where you go? Hey! Throw up that finger and lay out of here, Jack. And you got to learn how to live with yourself. You got to learn how to love yourself. Because when you start walking this walk, guess what? You're going to find that people who used to call you buddy and friend, they'll become a little bit more scarce. When we refuse to listen to the Messiah, we give ourselves over to Satan. When we do not follow the Messiah's instructions, we render ourselves to the mercy of Satan. Verse 24. Then said Yeshua unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now that word cross there is steros. It's an upright stake. It's called a cross by our language, but it's actually an execution stake. This is what the Romans used as the vilest and cruelest of punishment for criminals. The cross represents a criminal. Here's the question what crime did Messiah commit? So, why would the symbol of a criminal become something sacred and holy? I know why. Because the people who are wearing them. Are criminals. They're lawbreakers. Ouch. That's why I got mine turned upside down, and underneath my figure. So if you look at it, all you see is a bear. I know it's there, but it means nothing. Other people, you see them, they kiss their cross. They do their little prayers. Like, like, man, are you mocking? It's idolatry, particularly the basis of slaves, robbers. This is the people that was crucified and put on a cross because even the scripture says, cursed is the man who hangeth from the tree. And Father said, listen, if you hang somebody from the tree, it's because they've committed a crime. But you can't leave them up there overnight. Now, it's interesting that if you look at the story of the malefactors, it seems from the story, the only one who was not left up there overnight was Messiah. Why? Because those who came to retrieve his body, even they understood that if he was a criminal executed, you remove him. You don't let the body remain there but they knew better because he had committed no crime. The keys to defeating, overcoming the wiles of the devil are simple. Self-denial, dying to self, following and obeying the instructions of the Hebrew Messiah. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Matthew 16, 25. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Eternal life. Biblical salvation is not found in an English. Jesus Christ. Eternal life. Biblical salvation is found in nothing else or no one else than the Hebrew Messiah, Yeshua. I know this may be hard for some folks, but so be it. For what is a man profited, verse 26, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. The Son of Man is none other than the Hebrew Messiah, Yeshua. There is no other. Jesus Christ is the creation of the Roman Catholic Church. The Bible proves that. Well, brother, is there anything wrong with using Jesus? Why you ask that question? Why are you trying to hold on to Jesus when the scripture shows you where it comes from? Well, I was saved by that name. Really, were you? Because now that you know the truth, it shows me what you do with truth. You ignore it. Because if you know the truth, why will you still hold on to something? oh, it's got sentimental value. Sentimental value. Yeah, well, when I call on Jesus, I was healed. Okay. So you think Jesus, his name healed you? Or did Father want you healed? And that was what you knew at the time. See, when you know better, brothers and sisters, what do you do? You do better. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. There's been much debate on that. Even matter of fact, a rumor circulated that John would be alive when Messiah came. But it was a rumor. I'm going to tell you something. Here's what a person's would do. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. Is... They will focus on a non-material thing within the text to ignore the big revelation. It's like, you know, those who believe on me, the works that I do, they shall do, and greater works. Without fail, 99% of the time, well, what are the greater works, brother? Well, why don't you just focus on what he did? Why are you minimizing what he did? It seems like this. He says, you shall do the works I do and greater works." So where does it start? It starts with the works that he did. Why don't you start there? This is where we should start. But see, the mind, especially the rebellious mind, is going to focus on something other than what is clear. That's not exactly clear as to what it would mean or how it would manifest. But there are a lot of things that is clear, many. You're focused on the greater works and you haven't even done the works. Do the works. Understand this about the kingdom, brothers and sisters. When you're faithful over the little, he will make you rulers of much. What is he saying? If you're faithful in this little, he'll give you more. And when you focus on that, guess what? He will give you more. And pretty soon, guess what? He's making you rulers of much. You're mastering much. We start with what is possible within you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.